This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here. If we haven't met, I'd love to say hi to you after service this morning. In 2023 at Christian Chapel, one of the things we're doing is taking time uh, to share the good things that God is doing in our community by sharing chapel praise stories. If you have one of those, you can send it to us at praise at christianchapel.com. Stories of God's provision, his healing, his salvation, his deliverance, freedom, whatever it is that God has done in your life that is good, uh, we want to be a community that does two things. One, we want to stop, celebrate, and say thank you for the actions of God in our lives and in our community. And two, we want to ask that what the Lord has done he will do again. And what we found throughout the year is almost every Sunday that we share someone's story, there is someone else uh, in the congregation that says, I have a similar need and need God to act in the same way. And so today our story comes from Paula Lau. Paula says, in 2018, I had a terrible fall on an escalator at an airport. My suitcase became unbalanced and fell backwards, taking me with it. I broke a toe and wrenched several structures in my lower back and tore my hamstring. Since that time, I have dealt with increasing back pain. I utilized all pain relief measures the doctors could provide, including physical therapy and steroid shots, but it continued to get worse. I sought prayer repeatedly, but my prayers for healing were never fully answered. When it became apparent that my physical life, walking, gardening, lifting, was becoming more and more compromised, I began to consider back surgery. I feared surgery due to the many horror stories I had heard of its ineffectiveness. I delayed surgery for two years, despite the MRIs and x-rays indicating that my lower vertebrae had become compacted and pressed down on the nerves in that area. I kept waiting on a miraculous healing, especially considering the testimonies that we were hearing at church. But God had other plans. I shifted my prayers and began to ask God that if divine healing was not his plan for me, Could I please start to receive confirmation and good reports that I was making the right decision to pursue surgery? I also asked for help and healing to recover from the surgery. In a short time, I felt peace to make the decision to go ahead with surgery. Immediately, I started to hear from people I knew and even a couple strangers how they or someone they knew had a similar surgery and it had been a positive life experience. This happened every single day for a week. I was strengthened and encouraged by this answer to prayer. My surgery was June 2nd, 2023, and it was a difficult recovery. It required stamina that I wasn't sure I possessed to walk, to get up when it hurt, to push through. But with God's help and the people he placed around me, I was able to do it. My doctor told me that the goal was to walk two miles after three months of recovery and rehab. Two months after surgery, I was able to walk three miles without pain, I could bend over and stretch all without pain. I would have loved to experience divine healing, but I am thankful that God gave me peace and direction to trust him on his path of healing that he delivered through a surgeon's hand. So uh, I I share that because I think it's important for us to recognize we are a church that believes in the supernatural healing work of God. Uh, We have shared stories this year of him doing that. In fact, we've shared stories of people with back pain for multiple years that in a moment God has touched, straightened out, and they are completely pain-free. And yet we're also a church that understands God is the one who's in charge. 
And he can bring healing in whatever way he wants. And sometimes he does that through supernatural impartations of grace and divine healing. Sometimes he does that through the common grace of medicine and doctors and physical therapy and other things that he has gifted to the world. And so as followers of Jesus, what we want to be sure we do is give him glory for all of his healing, all of the time, in any way that it comes. And we never want to be the people in need who put ourselves in a position of demanding that if God doesn't do it a certain way, we're not going to receive what he has for us. And so in Prayers for Healing, I think Paula offers us just a model response of, I'm going to seek supernatural healing. I'm going to long for it. I'm going to ask for it. But when it becomes apparent, that's not what God is going to do. I'm going to be open to his direction. And so I don't know if, if that's maybe where some of us are this morning, not just with physical healing, with God's provision, with uh, prayers that we're praying in relationships or in other areas of life. But as we prayed this morning, we pray the Lord's Prayer. We're asking for God's kingdom to come and his will to be accomplished, which always includes the submission of our will and our preferences. Now, don't get me wrong. I still prefer that God would just fix all my problems with supernatural intervention the first time I pray a prayer. Uh, but many of us know that's not always the case, but just because it doesn't happen how we want doesn't mean it's not an answer to our prayers or an answer to the need that we have. So this morning, we're going to pray a prayer of thankfulness and also just pray for those of you who maybe you're in that spot this morning of you know what you want God to do, but maybe you're starting to sense he's leading you in another direction. We're going to pray that you'll have peace and experience the same kind of wholeness that Paula found as well. So Jesus, we thank you today for Paula. We thank you for her story and her willingness to share it with us. We thank you, Lord, that you can bring healing to us in so many different ways. You can bring provision in many ways, freedom and life and hope, however you choose to. So Jesus, today we pause and we just say thank you for what you did in her life. You see those of us who are here this morning that are maybe navigating similar circumstances. If we know what we want you to do, what we're longing for you to do, and, and yet maybe we're starting to sense that there's a new direction that you are leading us. So Lord, if that's the case, as you did for Paula, will you bring us confirmation and will you bring us peace as we follow you on the path that you're revealing to us? And as you do, Lord, however you choose to answer our prayers, we will be the people who come back and express our gratitude and celebrate your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, today we are in the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 10, verses 23 through 48. We're working our way through Acts story by story. If you haven't been with us, Acts is the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And so as we're kind of walking through it, we're asking each week, not just what happened then, but what does this mean for now? And today what we're going to see is Acts chapter 10, verses 23 through 48, teach us about the power of the gospel. And my hope is that we are all reminded today that the primary reason we gather together, the reason Christian Chapel, that the building exists on this property and that the community exists together today is not because of what our grandparents believed, not because of what our parents did, not because this is culturally acceptable, not because it's the normal practice, but we exist, we gather together, we serve, we worship, we, we 
give, we participate, we make it a priority because of the power of the gospel. Because we believe the story of Jesus has transformed our lives. The presence of Jesus is real in the world today. And so we're not gathering together just to kind of hear a little motivational talk and head out on our way. But we make faith a priority because of the power of the gospel. We've experienced it and we want to share it with others. And maybe today, you, you, that's not at all why you came. You came because someone invited you. You came because you, you wanted a donut. I don't know why you came, right? But whatever it is, my hope is before you leave today, you understand the power of the gospel is personal and transformational for you and for the exact situations that you're facing this morning. So it's kind of a long passage. We'll work our way through it segment by segment. We're going to start in verse 27. If you missed last week, last week is the first part of this story when God appears to a Roman soldier named Cornelius and tells him to send for Peter, one of the apostles. God also uh, appears to Peter in a vision to prepare him to receive what God has for him. So in verse 27, Peter and Cornelius have met outside, and, and then it says, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, he is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So the, the first thing we see about the power of the gospel is the power of the gospel is for everyone. All right, this is an invitation that goes out. If, if you weren't with us last week, last week we saw how that first part of Acts chapter 10 teaches us that God's plan is to eliminate prejudice in the church. That the gospel is for every person from every tribe from every nation. Peter starts his message by saying, I can't call anything or anyone impure that God has made clean. I recognize he accepts everyone from every nation who comes to him. And so it's a reminder for us today that the only qualification for the gospel is that you are breathing, right? That, that's it. There is nothing else to be added onto it. And in Acts chapter 10, specifically what we're being taught is that while the church grows in Jewish soil, it is not going to be restricted by Jewish customs or by Jewish laws. That Jesus is the perfect and final fulfillment of all of those Old Testament laws and regulations, all the sacrifices, the feasts and the festivals, the dietary restrictions, the clothing restrictions, the restrictions of who you interact with and how you treat them. He has fulfilled all of that and now we are all one in Christ and the invitation has went out to everyone everywhere. And so our job today is to continue to remember that the gospel is available to everyone which means specifically we all have equal need and open access to the gospel. So in, in Acts 10, Peter is understanding God's point that we cannot add qualifications 
on to others before they come into the kingdom. Right? That they are welcome in as they are to be transformed and remade in the image of Christ. And so we're remembering today that no one is ever too rich or too powerful to be welcomed into the kingdom, and no one is ever too poor or too powerless to need to be invited into the kingdom. Now, if if you back up to Acts chapter 10, verses 25 and 26, we we didn't read it, but if you you have your scripture in front of you, you can see that that right there when Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, there's, there's some cultural dynamics that are in play in that situation. And so, so two things are happening here. One, Peter is a good Jewish person. He would have had a very low view of Cornelius and his household. And two, Cornelius, as a Roman army officer, would have been used to being treated with a certain degree of respect by those who, whom, whose kind of land he is ruling over at that time. And yet what happens is Cornelius knows that the Lord has spoken to him to get Peter. Peter comes to his house, and so Cornelius comes out of his house, and he bows down on the ground before Peter. And Peter reaches down, he welcomes him, he lifts him up and tells him, do not do that, I am just a man like you. And so Peter's making a statement, before Jesus, the the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We both stand evenly together. And in doing so, he is pushing back against this Jewish view of Gentiles and Romans, but he's also pushing back against this view of the Romans that they were somehow elevated or superior over those that they had conquered. And so when we say the gospel is for everyone, another way to say that is that we do not make dogs or gods out of others. Now, now from a Jewish perspective, their view of Romans and Gentiles would have been these people are dogs. Now, that's, that's a little more difficult for us to understand today because some, you know, we, we live in suburban America and uh, we're more tempted to think dogs are gods uh, than, than probably the, the other side. And so I know some of you, you've adopted your dogs in your family. You think they have your last name. You wrote them into the will. You dress them up for Christmas. You do all those sorts of things. At the end of the day, they're still a dog, right? Um, and, and for the first century Jew, a dog was not your sweet, cuddly pet that shared a bed with you. Um, they were not part of the family pictures. They were, they were strays, they were dirty, they were diseased, they were dangerous, and it was a, a common derogatory term used for those who were outside of the covenant community. Of Those people are dogs. Now on the, the other side, Romans in the lands they had conquered were used to being treated as people of respect, people who were venerated. In fact, Caesar, the leader of Rome, was viewed as a deity. And so what we're learning in Acts chapter 10 is that when the gospel levels out the playing field for all of humanity and says, all of you are welcome in, then you can't look down on some as unworthy of the gospel, and you cannot elevate others so high as if they somehow don't need the gospel, but we all stand in a place of, as long as we're breathing, I need Jesus. And so what Peter is helping us understand as he shows up to Cornelius' house is, now I get it. There's no favoritism. We are all equal, and God is longing to pour out his grace on every person who will come and hear about the good news of Jesus. So as as you keep reading it through, we see how this interaction goes. In verse 36, we get the content of Peter's message. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and, and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So as Peter gets up to, to preach the gospel to Cornelius and everyone that he's gathered into his household, he makes two very simple points to them. First is that the gospel is simple. You notice there that there's this, this tremendous response that has occurred. Cornelius has had a vision. Peter has had a vision. They have both responded to what the Lord has said. And now Cornelius has gathered a house full of people to hear the gospel message. And while it's possible that Luke abbreviates the message of Peter just to kind of fit within the context of his writing and his story, what we also can be pretty confident of is he gets all the essentials that Peter would have shared. All right, so he might not have included Peter's opening statement. He might not have included some of the illustrations. He might not have included, included every scripture he referenced. But what he included was the simple outline of Peter's message. And Peter's message was Jesus was sent by God. Jesus is God. He is Lord of all. He came and he ministered on earth in, among people that, that they could have known and interacted with. He performed signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. And this confirmed his message and his identity to the people he was ministering to. He says that he came to preach good news to everyone who is living under the oppression of the devil. And in response to that, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God, after he died, resurrected him from the dead on the third day, and now everyone who calls on his name can receive forgiveness of sins. And so Peter's gospel presentation is incredibly simple, and it's a reminder to us today that it's that same simple gospel that has transformed our lives. It's that same simple gospel that we now get the privilege of sharing with others. I don't know what, what you think of when you hear someone telling you as a Christian you should share the gospel, but for some of us it can be intimidating at times. And sometimes it, the reason it's intimidating is because the church, in our efforts to make the gospel more simple, have actually made it more complicated. We've told, I mean, Peter tells us, if you want to share the gospel, it's real simple. Jesus is Lord. Jesus comes from the Father. Jesus does good things. Jesus comes to set us free from the work of the devil. The response of the world was to kill Jesus, but God resurrects him, and now he's alive, and we can have life in him through the forgiveness of our sins. The simplest story in the world that our three, four, and five-year-olds over here in their preschool class this morning can understand and comprehend at the level they are at, and yet somewhere along the line, we start to get this idea 
that the gospel's really complicated, that the gospel's really hard to share, that the gospel's really difficult to explain, that you have to have a certain degree of training, that you have to have particular gifts, that you have to have memorized the ABCs of salvation or the Romans road, or you have to know how to draw the diagram to show who you are without God and who you are and how the cross makes a difference. And if all of that works for you, God bless you. But for many of us, it just winds up being overwhelming. I remember taking a class in college, uh, you know, I was, I was at a, a Bible college tr- to, that existed to train ministers and missionaries, and I took a class called personal evangelism. And so for a, an entire semester, they talked to us about how to share our faith. And at the end of that semester, I felt more overwhelmed and ill-equipped to share my faith than I had at any point in my life. Because it was all about systems and structures, and it was about if somebody says this, then you say that. And it it seemed centered more around winning arguments than telling the simple story of the gospel. And yet what we see in Acts chapter 10 is when Peter is given a chance to tell someone about Jesus, he just keeps it very simple. And he tells them who Jesus is, and he tells them what Jesus has done. But he also emphasizes the gospel is not just simple, the gospel is also reliable. And Peter particularly pays some attention to the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus. As we read through that passage, you might have noticed that, that he spends a little more time on the resurrection than the other aspects of Jesus' ministry. And the reason he does that is because the resurrection of Jesus is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world at that time and since that time. It's the resurrection of Jesus that means Jesus is not just a good teacher, he's not just a role model, he's not just another prophet, but he is the divine son of God who came to earth, suffered, died for our sins, but was raised to new life and now extends that offer of new life to us. And Peter wants Cornelius and his household to understand, you are not saying yes to another religion. You are not saying yes to another list of rules. You are not adopting the customs of another culture, but you are going to receive the power of the resurrected Christ. What Peter is emphasizing is the historical reality of the resurrection. He says Jesus was resurrected. And he appeared to many of us who are his witnesses. And then he takes a step further than that. And he says, and we ate and we drank with him. Making the point, this was not an apparition. This was not a hallucination. This was not a mystical experience. This was not just a supernatural moment. But we ate and drank with the flesh and blood resurrected Jesus Christ. We touched him. We talked with him. We walked with him. We know he has risen from the dead. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that makes the gospel good news. It's the resurrection of Jesus that continues the gospel story in every culture, in every nation, in every language all around the world. It's the resurrection of Jesus that declares this is not just a a near eastern religious movement that somehow sprawls all over the world, but the reason Christianity grows is because the resurrection power and presence of Jesus Christ continues to work in the hearts and lives of men and women everywhere the gospel is proclaimed. And so for us today, what we want to remember is our anchor in the gospel is not an an anchor in the faith of our grandparents. It's not an anchor in what your mom and dad told you. It's not an anchor in what your favorite preacher says. 
It's not an anchor in a group of friends where you all believe the same thing and have the same values. It's not an anchor in a particular type of worship. It's not an anchor in a particular expression of religion. But your anchor today, the reason we exist is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he's alive, we experience life in him. It's his resurrection that enables him to look at sinners and call us out on our sin. It's his resurrection that enables him to require a response of repentance from us. It's his resurrection that enables him to promise, if you believe in me, you will live even if you die. It's his resurrection that promises what he did for himself, he will one day do for all of us. It's the resurrection of Jesus that is the motivation for our worship. It's the resurrection of Jesus that is the power of our preaching. It's the resurrection of Jesus that motivates us to give and to serve. It's the resurrection of Jesus that causes you to center your life in some way around Sunday worship experiences. It's not the adoption of cultural customs and religious rules, but it's an ongoing experience of the resurrected Christ. This is what Peter goes to preach. This is what you and I experience, and this is what we continue to share. The gospel is still simple, and the gospel is still reliable. And when it is proclaimed in those ways, the gospel will still create moments of personal response. We see it happening in Acts chapter 10 as Peter's preaching. It says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. It's, you know, we, sometimes we read the scriptures from our own uh, personal experiences. And as you read there in, in verses 44 through 46, you see the gospel's personal. It, it always leads us to a point of response. But I can't help reading Acts chapter 10, and particularly those verses from the perspective of a preacher, and I feel just a little bit sorry for Peter. I don't know if you caught it or not, but Peter's kind of robbed of his moment as the preacher. It says, as he's still speaking, they get saved and they get, now here's what I can tell you about Peter. If he's still talking, he's still got more stuff to say, right? He might not know it. He might be figuring it out as he goes along, but he's pretty sure there's more that he wants to say. He is driving to a point of response. Go back to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. They're asking, what does this mean? And Peter gets up and he says, let me tell you what this means. And he gives this whole sermon. And at the end, the crowd who's out there says, what should we do? And then Peter responds, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the model that Peter had embraced. It's a model that continues in the church most places around the world today of we're going to preach, we're going to proclaim the gospel and then we're going to give people a chance to respond to the gospel. But Cornelius and his household don't know how it works. They're pagans. They've never been to church. They apparently haven't heard the story of the day of Pentecost. They don't know that you wait till the end. They don't know that you wait till the lights go down and the keyboard begins to swell. They don't know that every head is bowed and every eye is closed. They don't know that you wait till the count of three and then you raise your hand. They don't know that if it's youth camp, you run to the altar as an expression of your passion, 
right? And if it's Christian chapel, you walk to the prayer room as an expression of your devotion. They don't know any of that. All they know is they, they've had a vision that Peter's going to come and tell them something important. And as Peter comes and he begins to speak and he says, this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus has done, it, it leads them to a point of response. And, and they don't wait till the end. They just begin to say, oh, well, if, if that's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus wants, that's, that's what I want as well. And so as Peter is still speaking, they become Christians. As Peter is still speaking, they express their faith in Christ. The gospel demands, the gospel creates the opportunity for response. This is what separates gospel proclamation from every other form of proclamation in the world. When you hear the gospel preached or when it's shared with an individual, it's not like listening to a TED talk on how cold showers can help you be a little bit happier and deciding to do that. It's not an infomercial designed to sell you a product that's going to help your life. It's not an inspirational speech designed to help you be a more disciplined person or improve your life in some way. The gospel is always the proclamation that leads to transformation. It always creates a moment of response. And in Acts chapter 10, the people People gathered in Cornelius' household, they don't know they're supposed to wait till the end. They just know we've been longing, we've been praying, we've been waiting, and what you're saying resonates in my soul. And so without an invitation, without an everyone pray after me, they just decide as Peter's speaking, we're Christians now. We believe in Jesus, we receive his forgiveness, and we're going to walk in new life. And then to kind of give that extra sign, they say yes to Jesus. And then the scripture said, and they begin to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit falls on them. It's Pentecost all over again, except this time for Gentiles, this time for Roman soldiers, this time for those that people weren't real sure if they belonged or not. And so as Peter's speaking, he's shown up and he says, I know now that God welcomes everyone. And if there's any lingering doubts in Peter's mind as he's still preaching, he sees the power of the Holy Spirit fall on these men and women. And again, we can read that passage so quickly and so easily and not really give full attention to what's happening. But just imagine for yourself, what's really happening here is we're being taught this important principle that anywhere God invites you or gives you the opportunity to share the gospel, it's a place where his spirit is already at work preparing the soil. When Peter begins to speak, he's just putting words to the longings that God has already placed in the heart of Cornelius and his household. When God calls you to share your faith with a friend, a family, a neighbor, a coworker, he's already been working in their heart. And just imagine for a moment that you've got a neighbor who says, hey, will you come over? I feel like I don't really know God, I don't know much about him, but I felt like I was supposed to ask you if you would come over and tell me about God. Well, even the most hesitant, insecure Christian in the world, we know that's a door I have to walk through. I can't decline, I can't just say, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? Like, I've got to show up, and I've got to start talking. Imagine it's a classmate, a coworker, somewhere, someone says, hey, will you tell me about God? And as you begin to tell them about who Jesus is, and you tell them that simple gospel story of this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus does, and this is how you receive forgiveness and new life. Imagine as you're still speaking, they burst out in languages that you know they do not know. You're not going to wonder for a moment if the Lord has shown up in that place. Just like Peter, you're going to make the declaration of, well, I guess God is working. 
And I guess the gospel really is for all of us. And as we, we keep reading through Acts chapter 10, we, we begin to grasp this important principle that salvation and spirit baptism are an initiation, not a culmination. Right? You would expect that when Peter sees the Holy Spirit has been poured out on Cornelius and his household, he knows the Holy Spirit is only poured out on those who belong to Jesus, so they're saved, they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be natural to think that at that point, Peter and his traveling companions would high-five each other, would give Cornelius a hug, and would get back to Jerusalem. But that's not what happens, because Peter understands salvation and spirit baptism, they're not the finish line. That's not the, the culmination of all that Jesus has come to do. Jesus didn't come to make converts. He came to make disciples. And so Peter understands, hey, there is work to be done. And so he stays there, and we, we pick up the story as we, as we wrap up this passage today. In verse 46, it says, And Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And so the, the last thing we see is the gospel is public. There is no biblical precedent for a personal and private faith. It doesn't exist. When Jesus transforms your heart, he invades every part of your life. And so there's nothing we get to hold back from him. There's no space that we get to, to deny his lordship, but it involves our complete and total surrender to him. And one of the first acts of surrender that every believer is commanded by Jesus to walk through is that of being baptized in water. And water baptism does a, a couple things for us. One, it expresses our obedience to Jesus because he's told us, if you're my follower, you're gonna be baptized. Two, it provides us with an opportunity to share with others the decision we have made to follow Jesus. Three, when you baptize in immersion, like we do at Christian Chapel, where you're completely submerged under the water, it provides you with an opportunity to remember that all of your life belongs to Jesus. Right? You don't get to hold your career out of the water. You don't get to hold your sexuality out of the water. You don't get to keep your finances out of the water. You don't need to get to keep that one favorite sin out of the water. When you're baptized, you are completely submerged. You die to your old way of life, and you are raised to new life in Christ. And so the gospel has to be public. We cannot keep it to ourselves. But in addition to baptism, it says, and then the believers asked Peter if he would stay with them for a few days. And again, it's a reminder that when we say yes to Jesus, when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being started on a journey where we continue to know who the Lord is and we continue to discover more about what he wants to do in our lives. Christianity is an ongoing public relationship with Jesus where you are completely surrendered and submitted to him. And every day you're learning a little bit more about what it means to follow him. That means there's never a graduation. There's never a moment when you fully and finally arrived. It means there's never a season where you can say, you know what, in this community, I don't think anyone has anything left to teach me. 
It means you never reach the point where you think, I, there's, there's no more new experiences for me in worship. There are no more new prayers for me to pray. There are no new ideas for me to grasp. But as we say yes to Jesus, we're being invited into a personal and public walk with him where we can continue to grow, continue to be made into his likeness every single day, continue to let him reveal and expose anything that we're tempted by, anything that we're holding on to that's at odds with his kingdom. It means that every believer is engaged in a process of being made more like Jesus every single day. And as the Holy Spirit works, he leads and he guides and he reveals and sometimes he comforts and sometimes he convicts, but he continues to lead us to Jesus in the context of community. And as we are being made into disciples, we're also invited to help others join in that process as well. And we share that same simple and reliable message of the gospel. And as we share it, the Holy Spirit uses our words to to express the longings he's already placed in their heart. And other people say yes to Jesus and other people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and other people are baptized in water. And then we invite them and they begin to walk with us on this journey. And this is the picture of the church in Acts. Mature believers growing and walking with Jesus welcoming new believers who are growing and walking with Jesus, who take the gospel to new place and more believers are growing and walking with Jesus and the church never becomes stagnant and the church never becomes weak and the church always advances by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus in the world, transforming the hearts of men and women and teenagers and children. And we have our feet firmly planted in the resurrection of Jesus and the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit. And so church never can be just a cultural expression. It never can be just a a formal religious tradition. It should never be just another thing we do before we move on with our day or our week, but it is a gathering of those who live in the resurrection power of Jesus. It's a gathering of those who are just getting started. It's a gathering of those who are being launched out. It's a gathering of every man, every woman, every child who has said yes to Jesus and is now the holy, split, the holy place where God's glory dwells. If you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for us this morning. The band's gonna come back. They're gonna lead us in a final song. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel is powerful. Lord, for those of us who've said yes to you, we want to pause in this moment and just reflect on the transforming power of the gospel in our lives. Lord, we're in awe of how this collection of historical realities becomes our ongoing experience of your power and presence. We believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us and brings life to our bodies. We know that the resurrection is the reason we gather together. It's the foundation of our community and the glue in our relationships. So Jesus, we pray today, will you remind us again of the supernatural nature of our relationship with you and the community that we exist in. And Lord, we pray if there's anyone in the room with us or online with us who has not said yes to you, they've not yet had that chance to repent of their sins, to ask you to forgive them and cleanse them and to take on their identity as your sons and your daughters. Today, Lord, will you call them by name 
Will you invite them to repent? And will you cleanse them of every sin? And may they know that they belong to you and they belong with us. Jesus, we thank you that the gospel continues to be simple and reliable, that it is powerful and personal. So Jesus, will you come again this morning and do the work you have planned in each of our hearts and in each of our lives. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.